Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, the podcast where we learn from cybersecurity experts how to stay safe, private, and secure on the cloud and in code. CSCP is hosted by Francesco Cipollone, your cybersecurity friend with a passion for all things cyber and sharing stories of other professionals with you. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. Today, we continue on the show discussing about diversity and application security, cloud security, and everything security. We have a wonderful guest that I had the pleasure to have conversation and chat outside. And we had a deep discussion with Stephanie around how somebody that is from left field can then come into cybersecurity. And I thought for our audience, this was a perfect, perfect example to inspire the new generation of people that it's not impossible, even though it's very hard, but it's not impossible. And there are folks out there that have done it. So I've invited you, Stephanie, the head of application security program for Markel. And Stephanie, you can make the joke about it. <laughs> but welcome to the show, Stephanie. Tell us a bit more about you. Thank you. I am super excited to be here. So yeah, I am the head of application security at Markel. And I can say that because I'm the only one that does application security at Markel. So therefore, I call myself the head. However, though, I do know that um, having the title, the head of application security, does get you a lot of um, DMs and LinkedIn from vendors. So I, uh, I, try, I, try, I try not to share that. But um, yes, I am the um, head of application security at Markel. So I've been in this position for about almost two years. Next month, it'll be two years. Um, and it definitely has been a journey uh, getting here. Congratulations. And um, as we were chatting, you, you mentioned uh, what got me inspired on doing this podcast with you was, was your journey that was particularly unusual, but it's something that inspired me a lot. And hence why I want to bring it to our folks and to our audience, because I think it was good. And if you can tell our audience a little bit, how did you get into cyber and, and what did, <laughs> why? <laughs> Yeah. So, so I like to joke with people that I have a very eclectic background. If you look at my resume, my resume is all over the place. And um, I usually get the question of how the heck did you get into cyber? So I have a bachelor's degree in psychology. I have a master's degree in professional counseling. I was a drug and alcohol therapist. Then I worked for the um, Air Force, uh, mitigating suicides within the Air Force. Um, And then I moved down to Virginia um, because my husband got a really great job down there. And I was looking for a counseling position in Virginia, and I could not find a position for the life of me. The certification requirements were more stringent than they were um, in my previous state, Pennsylvania. So I, I guess you can say I was kind of desperate. Um, so I gave my resume to my husband's boss who gave it to a recruiter who gave it to their sister company. And they reached out to me and said, um, hey, we have this position. It's an administrative assistant at a company called Markel. Do you want to go ahead and interview it? And I was like, you know what? What the heck? I will take this while I'm looking for a position as a counselor. So I interviewed, I got that position um, supporting the um, IT executive leadership as well as supporting our CISO. So I did that for about a year, year and a half when my CISO 
started to take notice that, you know, she's like, Stephanie, you know, you're smart. You have a master's degree. Let's try to get you into cybersecurity. And I looked at her and I said, I think you're crazy because I don't (laughs) understand how a behavioral health background fits with cybersecurity. And she's like, no, 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 it does. It does. Now, let me, let me show you it. And I was like, no, no, you know, forget it. I don't want to get into the cybersecurity thing because when you think of cybersecurity, you think of a hacker, you know, in a hoodie behind a computer with their hood up breaking into things. And I'm like, that's not something I want to do. Like I have a counseling background. So I thought about it and eventually I was like, you know what, what the heck, I'll go and chat with her to see what the cybersecurity thing is all about. So we had breakfast. Um, we discussed cybersecurity and I was like, wow, you know, it sounds really interesting because she told me about all the different areas of cybersecurity. And I said, okay, sign me up. How do I get into cybersecurity? So um, she gave me she gave me a stack of books and said, read these first. And I don't even remember what the books were. They were something that <laughs> IBM wrote and it was very technical and I understood none of it, but I'm like, you know what? I'm determined to get into cybersecurity, so I'll do it. Read the Great. books. And, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Great. Um, I read the books and, um, you know, that was like in August... I think it was like August, 2019, no positions were available. So she said, why don't you shadow somebody, you know, on my GSS, you know, team. And so um, I said, okay, I'll shadow somebody. And I did, I shadowed the sock and I said, I don't really like the sock. I was like, I don't think I'm going to do really well on cybersecurity. So a few months later, a position opened up on her team and it was for a third party security risk analyst. And I interviewed for it. I thought I bombed the interview completely. Apparently they liked me. They offered me the position and that was my foot in the door. I was a a security risk analyst for third party, um, had no idea what I was doing, um, but I showed passion and grit and desire to learn. So, you know, I did that for about a year. Uh, And then how did I get into application security? Well, (laughs) (laughs) well, um, our, our application security person, uh, she got a um, offer at another organization. So she put in her two, her two weeks and this was in August, no, around July, 2020, um, right in the middle of the pandemic. And so my boss was like, I don't know what we're going to do. You know, Stephanie, you're smart. You have a master's degree. Um, you take half of application security. Was I'll take the other. Half. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> they, they, just because I hold a master's degree, they think I'm smart, can handle anything. But sure, I, 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 I think that way sometimes too. So he was like, you know, you take half of application security. I'll take the other half. I'm like, okay, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I didn't know what I was doing in third-party risk. So what the heck? I'm up for the challenge. Let's roll with it. Yeah, let's run with it, right? <laughs> so, so I took on um, pen testing and DAST, and he took on SAST. He didn't really do much with the SAST, so it was just me doing the pen testing, organizing the pen testing, and doing DAST scans. Did that for about six months um, while we talked about finding another individual to come on to application security. I fell in love with application security. I fell in love with the program. I knew I could improve this program because that's what I love doing. I love taking programs and improving them. So I went to my boss in January, 2021. And I said, you know what? Give it all to me. You know, I love application security. 
just, I will take on the program. And he said, you know, it's a very steep learning curve. Are you sure you're up for the challenge? And I was like, let's do this. Like I can definitely do this. And here I am today. You know, I have a a kick-ass application security program and, uh, you know, yeah. (laughs) Amazing, amazing, amazing journey, Stephanie. So thank thank you so much for sharing it. And if, if you want, now that you've seen, you know, the risk aspect there, you know, you came in this with kind of a psychological evaluation eyes. So you have a very particular set of eyes. And what do you think is is good or bad in our industry? <laughs> so, t- t- tell me the state of the industry, you know, if you want to take it from an application security, cloud security, or, or you know, risk, the, the areas that you were exposed, what's missing? What's broken in your opinion? Or what's working? So, so, so the cybersecurity industry, and more specifically the application security industry, is fantastic, right? Once you're in, you're in. If you can get your foot in the door and you're in, you can do anything within cybersecurity. But I think right now that, you know, actually trying to get your foot in the door is proving more difficult for individuals like coming out of college or those wanting to do a career change um, into cyber. So I think, I think what's broken is the, the organization's not having enough entry-level positions for those coming out of college. Also, and we could talk more about that as well, but from an application security perspective, you know, what's broken in that area, I think it's because developers aren't taught security and they're not shown security. And so getting developers to understand security and to adapt the different tools and techniques that security puts into place is proving to be really difficult because from what I've seen, developers, they, (laughs) I like to, and I'm not, I'm not here to make fun of developers because I have a lot of developer friends and I love them to death and they're all so unique, but I feel like they're, they're in their little developer box and they know what they know in regards to development. And when security comes in and tries to introduce new tooling or new methods, they freak out a little bit because they don't understand it. And I believe that if you know universities and colleges can incorporate more security into the computer science program, then I feel like once developers come out of you know college and they get into their job, they're going to be really, really excited about security. Like for example, I have one individual, one developer manager. He's fantastic. He gets security. And there are things that you know I'll tell him and he'll be like, okay, like I understand why you have to do that, Stephanie. I understand why we need this tool. I understand why I need to go back and fix this vulnerability. And it's when he gets it and when he's a big advocate for security, I kind of do a really big cheer on the inside because I'm like, yes, why can't all developers be like you? Because you know, security isn't here to hurt you or harm you. Security here is here to protect the organization and we're all responsible for it. Right. And I, I do understand, you know, everybody has different priority, but how do you fundamentally get involved? Maybe how do you make it a priority for a developer aside from the training aspect? Yeah, well, I think I think that's where my behavioral health background comes into play. Because when, you know, instead of pushing an agenda on the developers and saying, this is what you need to do, the end, you know, security says you have to do it. There's no ands if or ands is ifs or buts to it. Instead of that, it's the 
you know, let me listen to your issues. Let me listen mm-hmm. to your gripes about, you know, what I'm trying to implement and let's have a conversation about it. And I'm able to be empathetic towards them. I'm able to understand where they're coming from and I'm able to speak with them on a kind of a, a human level mm-hmm. to understand their needs and to understand their wants. I mean, I know all developers are busy. I mean, what developer isn't? And with with me trying to implement a tool, of course, they're going to be upset about it, of course, because it slows down their process. And so, you know, I take the time to actually listen to them and listen to understand, you know, what they're going through and, you know, be able to communicate my why, but understanding their why as well. So empathy, empathy and relating to them and relating to the problem has has worked for you and has move the dial into helping developers be more secure. And yeah, now I do I do have to caveat that it doesn't mm-hmm. help with every developer because you still have your OG developers who are sick in the muds and you know you have to have a little bit more patience with them and more leniency with them. But but you know we're getting there. No, and that's good. And I think everybody is a little bit on a maturity journey towards people that get it immediately, they hurt security day in and day out, and maybe people that, you know, they, they see security as an additional burden. But maybe how did you involve maybe the business aspect or a product owner to make it really important for the developer to actually fix things? Are they involved in conversation? So... I try to involve them as much as possible, but because they don't understand security and I don't understand developer, there's a there's kind of like a, a language barrier there. And if I were a little bit more technical, I think I would be able to relate to them more. And if they were a little bit more security conscious, they would be able to relate to me more. So I think there's a huge communication barrier there, but um, I'll give an example that may help. So we, we decided to replace our SaaS tool with a different tool. Um, our previous SaaS tool wasn't working for the developers. It was slowing them down. It was clunky. Um, it was just, it wasn't working with their processes. And I didn't know that because they weren't communicating it to me. I just thought that, hey, you know, here's a SaaS tool put in from the previous AppSec person. I thought they were using it and all was, was well. Oh, yeah. So I... Um, I, I made it a point to do like a roadshow with this um, because I noticed that the SaaS tool adoption just wasn't there. They just weren't utilizing it as much as you know we thought they would. So I sat down with developer managers and developers and I listened to them and said, you know, what do you like about this tool? What do you not like about this tool? Are you going to use it? Are you not going to use it? I asked them so many questions and I said, I'm here to listen to you because I don't want to implement a tool and it hurt your processes, and then you hate me because you have to use this tool. So, so you know, after sitting down with them, and I did the roadshow between March and May. Mm-hmm. After sitting down with a lot of developers and listening to them, I discovered that you know the tool just wasn't working, and they didn't like it. And so I said, okay, let's fix this. Let's get you guys involved. Let's find a new SaaS tool. And um, because I want you guys to like the the tool, you know, so we went out and looked for a um, a new SaaS tool and we found one that was more developer friendly, that was developer centered, that they really, really loved. And I brought in so many different developers because I wanted to get their opinions on it because they're the ones that are going to be utilizing it more than I am. And it's important for them to be happy. So I was able to, you know, 
narrow down to this one tool. And, you know, right now we're in the process of getting it implemented and they're actually excited about it. You know, I, I actually, had, I know I had a developer message me and said, Hey, I heard we're getting a new tool, this tool. I said, Oh yeah, well, you know, I, I get the, I guess the cat's out of the bag. Um, yeah, we are. <laughs> He's like, well, I'm really excited. You know, I, I've seen this tool. I'm really excited to use it. And I'm like, again, inside, I'm like jumping up and down. So I'm like, yay, you know, and you made them involved in the process. So that's, that's yeah. really, really important things because they, they will be the champion of a product that they all yes. choose. Yes. And that, that is so important because you're right. If, if they're not involved and um, if they're not involved in the process and they see security as like a stopgap instead of like a partner, then they're going to rebel against you. Mm-hmm. Once involved in the process and help them understand that security is not saying no, we're just here to just help everybody improve everything. I think it's much, much better. Uh, and that's, I think there's a very important caveat that whenever selecting any tool from an AppSec, from a CloudSec, from an infrastructure security, it's super, super important to involve the people that ultimately are going to use it and, and not to the choking point to develop, but yeah. really work on the process and procedures and tooling to implement that really, really drive it forward. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of AppSec Phoenix Limited. AppSec helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security problems by using smart data aggregation and complex machine learning software. Discover how AppSec Phoenix helps CISO and developers remove friction and maximize the use of DevSecOps professionals at www.appsecphoenix.com. AppSec Phoenix is the new and smart dev-first way to manage your software vulnerability. Follow the tag, hashtag AppSecSmart. Well, maybe yeah. I want to pick yeah. a point that I think was really important that we, we talked, we touched a little bit about. You mentioned before talking with the various team, with the various people, it's, it's sometimes a really big language barrier and can require additional knowledge and, and additional language. So if that's the case, how are we allowing the new generation of people into this very technical field? Yeah, so I think there has to be a difference. So in regards to application security, I think there's a huge difference between your AppSec analyst and your AppSec engineer. Um, and I, I think that's something that individuals don't understand that there is a major difference. Like the AppSec engineer needs to be technical. They need to have coding background. So they're able to talk to developers. They're able to communicate, you know, why you had or why you need, you know, this here and that there. Whereas an analyst like me isn't as technical because I'm more about analyzing the data that comes from the tools. So for individuals like coming out of school, you know, out of college, you know, I feel like they need to decide whether or not they need to go to the technical side of cybersecurity or the technical side of application security or the non-technical side. Because, you know, cybersecurity as a whole, you have the technical side, or or, or at least I view the technical side. Like you have your SOC team, you have your architectural architectural and engineering team, you have your um, identity and access management team. Versus the non-technical side, where you have like your GRC, which is more information security, but we still like to say cybersecurity as a whole. Um, you know, your governance, risk, and compliance, application security kind of straddles both the technical and the non-technical side. So for the coming out of college, you know, these new generation of individuals, 
they have to decide, do they want to be technical? Do they not want to be technical? And then they need to decide, okay, if I want to be technical, then they need to focus more on learning coding languages, being able to, you know, break through that communication barrier with developers and being able to communicate with them better, learning an SDLC, um, learning the shift left mentality versus, you know, if you're an application security and you want to be an analyst, you don't necessarily need, it's nice to know the technical stuff, but you don't necessarily need a strong technical background to do this position. Nice. No, I think I think you touched the point that there are multiple places and multiple jobs in cybersecurity in order for us to fill the, the gap, the massive gap that we have. I think we have more than 4 million jobs open mm-hmm. just in the US. We're never going to be able to fill it if we put the bar so high that yeah. only, only the Google or, or the Amazon or the, yeah. the other people will, will be able to fill those jobs. And yeah, you know, there is, so for individuals that come to me like on LinkedIn or like I did have an internal mentee and, you know, I see these individuals posting on LinkedIn and they're saying, I want to get into cybersecurity. How do I get into cybersecurity? My first question to them is, well, what do you want to do in cybersecurity? You know, right. because there's so, so many different areas in cybersecurity. You know, you want to be a hacker? Do you want to be a pen tester? Do you want to work for the SOC? Do you want to be GRC? Like that's your first step is to decide what are you good at and what do you really want to do? Explore that and then, t- and then go down that path, you know, that career path. But unfortunately, a lot of individuals coming out of college, they just hear the word cybersecurity. They, they've taken the general cybersecurity courses. They haven't really specialized in anything. So they're trying to get in any sort of cybersecurity field. And I think that's what frustrates them a lot is because they're applying for any and everything under the sun in the cybersecurity career field. Right. And what they need to do is actually figure out what do you actually want to do in cybersecurity? Well, I think that's a very important point that as soon as you get out of university, the thing that you hear is pen tester maybe, or you try to go immediately for the high ticket item that require an enormous technical knowledge. And then yeah. maybe you ignore the GRC or the network security yeah. or the infrastructure security or the vulnerability management or, you know, those, those jobs that are not highly advertised and, but they're, they're super, super required for cyber to actually complete the landscape, you know, identity and access management. People don't come from university studying identity and access management. <laughs> no, every, everybody wants to do the sexiness of cybersecurity. Everybody wants to be the hacker behind the screen is what I've noticed these recent college graduates. They all want to be either in the stock or they want to be a hacker you know, behind the computer screen with the hoodie up. And because it, it, it looks sexy because you see it on movies and you're like, oh, I want to be that person hacking into a computer. But oh, there's so much more to cybersecurity than just that position. So much more. Yeah. And then they, they when they get into their field, they discover that it's, it's a lot of legwork. It's not the one-click yeah. button hack that you see in the movies. <laughs> you know, so... So this is what I, um, my internal mentee, you know, he wanted to get into cybersecurity and I was helping guide him into cybersecurity and he was um, try hack me and he loves pen testing. And I was trying to get him into, you know, a, a career field like that, but I had to kind of level set him a little bit and let him know that, you know, cybersecurity, especially like pen testing or, ha- or, you know, hacking, ethical hacking, it's not, it's not all exciting work. 
when you get into a corporate environment, it's not all exciting. There's going to be spreadsheets that you're going to have to do or put together governance documents or, you know, it's just, right. It's, it's, yeah. Fight the politics within an organization. Like it's, it's not all sexy work. It's not what you, what the movies portray it is. And, you know, unfortunately that's, that's real world. So it, it didn't diffuse his bubble. He, um, he just got, I think he just accepted a position as um, within a sock. So he was still excited to get into the, the cybersecurity industry, but, but I had a level set with him. Like it's not all sexy work. You gotta, you know, <laughs> there's always bad that comes with the good. I think even from a SOC perspective, you, you start, even when you approach, you start understanding that you need to understand much more how things work before you understand how to break things or how to react yeah. from broken things. Yes, yes. And I think that's what also one of the issues where you also have people disamorated from cyber quickly because they see the, the level that they need to go and, and the journey that they need to go from zero to hero that is massive because they need to understand yeah. network security, you know, operating system. And I recently had the, the same exact discussion with a, a going to be graduate. And he asked me, okay, how do I do a zero trust? And I said, okay, what do you know about network security and networks? Like, well, nothing really, but you know, I wanted to do zero trust in the cloud. And I said, okay, but there is, it's, it's a buzzword. There is a lot more meets behind it that, you know, learn the basics and then get to the abstract yeah. concept. As an industry, yes. we don't do each other as a favor because we tend to promote buzzword and every year there is a new buzzword. I don't know, which one is the latest year buzzword that you heard? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm, so um, I, I'm not going to, so <laughs> I'll tell a funny story. And mom, if you're listening to this, turn it off right now. Um, <laughs> so so I, uh, I try to educate my, my parents. They're a little bit older. Um, I try to educate them on creating complex passwords and they, as, as hard, as much as I try to get them to adopt, you know, like a password keeper or, you know, something like they can put on their phone, they still are old school and like to write down their passwords and, and put it around their monitors. And, and every time I see that, I have to, you know, crumple up the papers and put it somewhere <laughs> because it drives me insane. So they, reinforcement. They, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they, um, they have some simple passwords that um, drive me up the wall, but Hey, you know, you can lead a horse to water. You can always make them drink. So, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess, I guess it's an educational aspect, you know, with, with anybody it's a journey. So you, you need to positively reinforce the behavior instead of encouraging or, or pointing out to negative behavior. And yeah. I think it's a good learning. I, I I ended up getting my mom to to get uh, into using you know multi-factor and and different credentials by just replacing her laptop with one of my old one. The system was there, <laughs> you know, it was that or nothing. <laughs> and slowly but surely, she started using it. I think it's it, it just every every person has a different things, and and we need to understand there's a maturity journey that is. is an additional step that each one develop a business everybody else needs to think about it's not something natural uh, as us in the industry we don't think naturally we think naturally what are the issues what is the risk impact assessment and i think maybe i wanted to, to bring it uh, now that we're coming to the conclusion to more how do we I mean, it is, it's my particular pet peeve that we need to talk more about risk because 
more people can understand from a gut feeling and from an intuitive feeling a risk assessment or you know this is more risky than that versus you have 4,000 vulnerabilities that are critical. I think from an application security, from a cybersecurity in general, we should be able to talk more risk rather than just pure technical term because then we empower the new generation, but also the business as a whole to talk more to talk more and get more involved in cybersecurity because, mm-hmm. as you said, it's a language barrier. We remove the language barrier, we maybe excite more people to get involved into cybersecurity. What do you think, yeah. Stephanie? Yeah, yeah. So, so communicating risk is, you know, a top priority. With not just in application security, but within cybersecurity. But like you said, it, it's difficult to, to get like the business side to understand risk. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes when the, the business wants to do something that is a little bit more risky than what cybersecurity likes, um, it's hard to convince them to go otherwise, especially if it's a huge benefit for the business. For example, like when I was in my third party um, position, you know, there were times where you know, the business owner would come to me and say, I want to, you know, have a relationship with this third party. Okay, great. Let me do my, my risk assessment on them to see, you know, how risky, you know, they are with us transferring data to them, whether or not they can keep our data safe. If they came back as a high risk, I would take that to the business and say, look, you know, there is a high risk with this third party. I'm going to recommend that you don't pursue this relationship with them. But if the business owner feels that it's more of a benefit to pursue that relationship, it's really, really hard to convince them otherwise. You can have all the data in the world. You can translate it into financial terms as well and say, you know, on the habit stance that, you know, we transfer all this data to this third party and they suffer a data breach. This is how much it's going to cost them. This is how much it's going to cost us. This is how much reputational damage we will have. Sometimes a business still wants to pursue that relationship. And (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately, in real world, sometimes our hands are tied and there's nothing that we can do about it. Because, you know, if, if your CEO or COO or CFO wants to pursue this relationship and security says, I don't think it's a good idea, but they still want to pursue it. Well, they're probably going to pursue it, you know, most likely if they see the benefit, but we still like to educate them as much as possible. We still like to let them know that there is a risk. We will document the risk so that, you know, our, you know, so that we can CYA, you know, cover our butts and show that (laughs) we we did show them that um, there was a, a risk. Ultimately, yeah. we are we are just consultants, so we enable the business to do True. business stuff. And if and, and the business in general is most of the time is more aware of the risk, opportunity, rewards. So if if they see the value in going with somebody, and they, we assume that they will have evaluated the risk properly. Yeah. Not always yeah, well, true, but yeah. you know we, we hire those people because they have better risk judgment than, <laughs> than others. That's true. True. And you have to have a great balance between, you know, security and the the organization being able to do their job. And so if you have a strong, strong security within an organization, the business side may not be able to do their job. And then they're going to get frustrated at security and then nobody's going to be happy. And so you have to find that really good balance between, you know, let's implement security but not strong enough security that the business can't do their job, but enough security that, you know, we won't suffer a data breach and we'll be able to protect our data as well. So 
you know, in regards to like the, that third party, you know, risk it's okay. It, let's come to a compromise of, okay, you want to pursue this vendor with, you know, this high security risk. Let's come to a compromise of let's not give them all of our data or let's, let's, you know, kind of back down on how much data we give them or what types of data we give them. Um, that way, you know, just in case a breach happens, it's not going to be as bad as it would have been if we gave them all this data. So it's, it's a lot of it in regards to explaining risk to the business. It's all about compromise and negotiation is what I, what I feel like. And, and I like your approach. That is, this the pragmatic approach that usually works in cybersecurity. This, you know, presenting a problem, presenting a risk, and then okay, if you really want to do this, let's try to find a way to make it work mm-hmm. in a way that is mitigation and, and uh, working for both of us as a security yeah. and the business. So I really yeah. like it. Thanks. Stephanie, thank you so much. Now that we're coming to the conclusion, we have a tradition in the podcast that is closing the podcast with a positive message for everybody. And so you can choose the positive message that you want. <laughs> <But> yeah, <laughs> I have a big smile on my face. So keep going, keep going. If you have more to say, no, no, no. That, that, that's it. It's like okay. go for it and and inspire our our audience with your positive message. Sure, I I am like a bushel of positivity. Like I live my life in a positive manner. So if if, if anybody on the podcast can't see, like I have my big smile on my face because I always love sharing positive messages. So I have a, I have, I'm going to narrow it down to two because I could go all day on positive messages. But first positive message is to those getting into cybersecurity. I posted on my LinkedIn profile today about, you know, those individuals trying to break into cybersecurity and how hard it is. And, you know, those running into brick walls every time they try to apply for a position. And, you know, my message to them is don't give up. It's going to take some time to get your foot into the door. It's going to take, you know... It may, you may go down a different journey in order to get into cybersecurity like I did. I mean, I never thought I would be an administrative assistant that now becoming a cybersecurity person, but it happens. <laughs> so, so don't give up. Keep trying um, your best to get into cybersecurity. It will happen eventually. Just never give up on that. And two, I will leave you with a really good quote. So my CISO, um, Patty Titus, she is phenomenal. She is a big influence in my life and my career right now. And she's helped me mold who I am today. And she, she, in one of her podcasts that she did, she said a really great quote that I have on my um, computer right in front of me that I look at always. So she said, seek to be the best always no matter your gender, age, ethnic background, or the scars that have made you strong. And I feel like every day, if we can wake up and seek to be the best version of ourselves, then we can do amazing things in this world. So that's the positivity for you today. Wow, it's, it's going to be diffi- difficult for other people to top up. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> no, th- thank you so much, Stephanie. It was wonderful to have you on the show. Thank Before you. we close, where can people read more about you? You know, do you have a blog? Do you, do you write more on LinkedIn, Twitter? Where they can find yeah. you? LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn. I post great things on LinkedIn. I share great things on LinkedIn. I'm always advocating for the cybersecurity community, especially women to get into cybersecurity. I'm part of the women's executive forum. And then I'm, I'm open to helping individuals, you know, get their foot into cybersecurity. I'm always up for uh, mentoring individuals. So find me on LinkedIn, just look me up. That's fantastic. So Stephanie, thank you so much, everybody. 
Thank you for listening in. This is Francesco Cipollone, your host. And go out there, inspire the next generation of people to be more secure, but also to get inside cyber. It's scary, but there is a way, there is a path. And people like Stephanie are giving an example, and Stephanie's post as well is giving an example to show that there is a way, regardless of your gender, background, where you come from, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Just put the hard work and you get inside cyber. Thank you very much, Stephanie. And everybody, stay safe. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and post it on social media tagging Cybersecurity Cloud Podcast for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Discover other episodes at www.cybersecuritypodcast.com.